We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 tonight. A fun fact about Psalm 1, it's the first uh, passage of Scripture I ever memorized as a child. Um, I memorized a lot of individual verses, but ever memorizing two consecutively, this was the first passage. And my Sunday school teacher, when I was about seven, challenged us to memorize this. And I've really loved this chapter ever since. And it's got a lot of great stuff in here. And we're just going to look at a few things. But before we do that, I just want to remind you, we're talking about disciplines. And, you know, when we think about disciplines, there's a lot of things that come, that come to mind. Uh, I grew up playing sports. You've got to be disciplined if you want to be a good sports player. If you want to go very far, you're going to have to put a lot of work and time and effort into it. There's going to be a lot of early mornings. There's going to be a lot of late nights. There's going to be a lot of eating right, which obviously I don't do anymore, but I used to. And you had to be extremely disciplined. And the guys that I would try to watch and try to become more like, they were very disciplined. Last week, I shared with you about my father who pretty much every morning of my life, whenever I got up, didn't matter if I got up early to go fishing or if I got up later in the morning, I would see him reading his Bible. He was always there doing his exercises and reading God's word and praying over our family. I saw him being disciplined. But, you know, a lot of times we think, When we think about disciplines, we think about very specific things. We think about reading our Bible. We think about things at work, but they really apply to all aspects of our lives. Let me give you an example. You had a table discussion at the beginning about something that a lot of you enjoy a lot of, football, or maybe it's basketball, or maybe it was race car driving, whatever the case may be. All my buddies that are big football guys, Saturday in the fall is it. You don't schedule anything else. Their wives know you don't schedule anything on Saturdays in the fall. Why? Because I'm going to be watching football from start to finish. Guess what that is? That's a discipline. They have carved out that time. You say, no, 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 that's not discipline. Yes, it is because you've basically said everything else I'm going to set to the side and I'm going to focus on that and you can talk about it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not getting on to you. But what I am saying is a lot of times we talk about the discipline of reading God's word or praying or studying or doing all of those things that we would call spiritual disciplines, we have a lot of excuses like, I don't have the time. Well, we threw that excuse out the window when we sat for 10 minutes and discussed our favorite football team because we have the time to watch them on Saturday. Now, I'm just as guilty as anybody in this room. But what I am saying is when we talk about spiritual disciplines, you've got to buckle up and you've got to dig in and you've got to get on board. And you know, when you look at people in your life and say, man, that is such a godly man. My grandma was such a godly woman. You know what keeps you from being like them? You do. The Lord is not keeping you from that because he desires you to be as close to him as possible. Your wife isn't keeping you from doing that, so don't blame her. Adam tried that, didn't work out, okay? Your work could be, but what I know this is most guys work a whole lot longer than they're supposed to And not necessarily does their job mandate that. It's something that they love and enjoy to do. So we remove that and we say, Lord, give me the discipline of studying your word. In this book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald S. Whitney, he says, the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. What are they? They're reading and studying God's word. They're praying. They're fasting. They're worshiping. All of those things that we know to be true, 
but yet we oftentimes struggle to follow through with them. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage before we get to Psalm 1 in 2 Timothy 3, because a lot of times I think we know that we need to be reading God's Word, but the question is, how deep are we really going? I was talking to a guy yesterday, doesn't go to church here, I was talking to him on the phone, and I was asking him, he's a friend of mine that I grew up with, goes to a church in Alabama, and I was asking him, I said, tell me about where you are with reading God's Word. He said, Derek, I get a little bit of the Word every day. He said, there's a Christian radio station in Birmingham, and every day as I'm driving to work, I'm listening to the Christian music, and they always have a commercial, and the guy on there always reads a Bible verse. And I said, okay, so tell me about your time in God's Word. And he said, well, that's it. I'm, I'm getting God's Word. And I said, well, you know, someone else reading God's Word to you is good. But I'm asking you, when are you getting into God's Word? Sometimes I think we forget that it's got every answer for every problem and every issue that we could ever have or ever will go through. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all Scripture is inspired by God. That means from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, it is God-breathed. It is directly from God Himself. And it's profitable for teaching. That's that doctrine, doctrine of the word, the promises of the word. For reproof, when we get out of line, he brings us back. He shows us where, those, where that problem is. For correction, he corrects that. For training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. How many situations does God's word have the answer for? Every single one of them. And so why is it that oftentimes it's the last place we go to? Sometimes we spend more time asking advice from other people than we do going to the Father who has our best interest in mind and who loves us like no other and who has every answer for every issue we'll ever go through right here in the Word of God. And yet, we don't go to it first. When I look at this passage, I jump immediately to in in 2 Timothy right here, I jump immediately to the teaching part. It's profitable for teaching. But you know what? I don't know about you. Oftentimes, I need a little reproof and a little correction. I'm the minister on call today here at Bellevue, and I received a phone call from a guy out of state about 2 o'clock this afternoon, and he shared with me some struggles that he was going through. And he said, you know, I went to a psychologist uh, in the city that I live in, and I said, well, did they give you any good advice? And he said, well, they gave me some tips. And you know, nothing really helped very much. And he said, then I called this hotline where it's this trainer that like helps you train through how to think through your problems. And he said, that didn't really work real well. And he said, then the, the place that I work at, they have these counselors that I can go visit with and it doesn't cost me anything. He said, so I met with them for a little while. And he said, to be honest with you, I didn't get really anything from that. And he said, then he said, about two days ago, I was sitting in my car. He said, I knew I needed to get out and go inside. He said, before I went in there, he said, I remembered that my grandmother told me when I was a little bitty boy, when you don't know what else to do, turn to God's word. And so the question that I pose to him is, why do we wait till that moment? Why do we wait till the moment where there's nowhere else to go to turn to God's word, when God's word should be where we build our foundation for everything we do? And so as we talk about disciplines and as we get ready to jump into Psalm chapter one, I want to turn it back to the table for just a moment and I want you to discuss this question. If your growth as a Christian was measured by how you read your Bible, what would be the results? Now listen, I didn't say how Brother Steve read his Bible. I didn't say how the pastor that you listen to on the preaching station on the way to work is reading his Bible. I didn't say how your life group teacher is reading his Bible 
or how your wife is reading her Bible. Because by the way, right now there's about 500 women sitting in a room over here and they're studying God's word. And I hear this all the time. Derek, I know as a man, I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader in my home, but it's really difficult because my wife's more spiritual than I am. Well, how long are you gonna use that as a crutch? It's time to get over that. It's time to stand up and be the men of God that God's called us to be. And quit leaning on all these things and dig into God's word. So I'm going to ask the question one more time, then I want you to discuss it just for a couple moments around your table. And you say, boy, this is a little deeper than the question we had about football. This is getting a little more personal. I don't know if I want to talk about this around the table. Look, you don't have to talk, but I hope that you will, because I think this is where we're really going to begin to sharpen each other. If your growth as a Christian was measured by how you read your Bible, what would be the result? All right, guys. The discipline of reading our Bibles, the discipline of digging into God's Word. Let's look at Psalm 1 and see what it says here. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I think we ought to stop right there because there's a whole lot packed into that one little verse right there. Notice he says, Walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scornful. It's a picture of walking, standing, sitting. What that is, is that's a progression. What he's saying is, don't even walk there. You always hear Brother Steve say this. You don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying right here. He's saying, don't even walk by it. Because if you walk by it, there's a chance you may stop and stand for a little bit. And if you stand for a little bit, before long, you're going to sit and you're going to be a part of it. I'm going to give you a perfect example of this. I had a friend of mine, I, I, I went to a, a very, very small Christian college and uh, was on the basketball team there with another guy, a friend of mine. We, we didn't grow up together, but we met kind of in high school and we both had the opportunity to go play at this place. And we got there and he grew up in a very conservative pastor's home, just like I grew up in a very conservative pastor's home. And, and in, in both of our homes, uh, it, was, it was not only understood, it was also talked about that we would not drink alcohol. And you could say, oh, great, he's going to go off on a tangent about drinking alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine. That's a whole other sermon, okay? We'll go there some other time, okay? We're not going there. I just want to show you this as a picture. He grows up in this home that says, don't drink alcohol. He never tasted a drop of it. We get to this college. It's a great college. It's, it's, it's great. We're taking Old Testament survey together. We're taking evangelism together. We're both pastoral study majors. But there was a group of guys that were involved in the sports there at that particular school, a couple on the baseball team, one on the basketball team, a couple on the soccer team, and it was very well known that these guys were not only uh, borderline alcoholics, but they were also exploring other recreational drugs. And I can remember one night, those guys invited me and this guy to come hang out. And I remember exactly where they were going to be that night, because I remember thinking to myself, there's no chance under the sun I'm going to even go in that building. I'm just going to stay as far away from it. The Bible says, flee all appearances of evil. You hear what he says? Flee. He doesn't say, mess around with it. He says, flee from it. You know, the old preacher down in Alabama says, if you put on some white gloves and go out and play in the mud, does the mud get glovey or do the gloves get muddy? What he said was, when you play in the mud, you don't rub off on it, it rubs off on you. And so what I discovered was if I just stayed away from it, I could just stay out of trouble. Now, part of that was I couldn't imagine my father driving two and a half hours from his little church to come up there and beat the tar out of me up in where I was at school, okay? 
But this guy said, you know what? I'm just going to kind of go by and just see what's going on over there. And I told him, I said, man, I wouldn't do it. They're going to suck you into that. No, not me. I'm grounded. I remember him saying, I'm grounded. We're 18 years old. How grounded do you think he was? He walks by. He sees all the fun they're having. And after about three weeks, I remember him saying, hey, I'm, I'm beginning to go to that deal on Tuesday nights with those guys. And I remember him saying, you know what? I, I, I was holding a beer, but I didn't drink it. See what it is? He was walking by, and now he is standing, and it wasn't a month later, the guy was the ringleader. He's sitting in the middle of it. Not only is he drinking, but he's discovering all types of other things, and he went from way over here to way over there because he didn't listen to the counsel of the psalmist. Now, I'm not standing up here bragging. I was more afraid of my dad than I was following the psalmist, okay? But this guy did not understand what he, get, what he comes out right out of the gate here. He's saying, men... Wake up and stay away from this junk. Look what he says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What does he say in verse 2? He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Men who read the Bible are filled with joy. Number one, men who read the Bible are filled with joy. Look what he says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, I can think of some things. I can think of some foods that are delightful. I mean, I don't know about you, but when my wife says it's date night and you get to choose where we're going to eat, you already know I'm going to get a big steak. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be cooked. Now, listen to me. Rare. As a matter of fact, just warm it up just a little bit. Just take the chill of it off for me, okay? That, I'm ready. Put a little bit of butter over it. I'm good, okay? I may be able to eat it cold. I don't know. I just, that's the way I like it. And I love it. And I could sit there and I can enjoy every single bite of that thing. But you know what? You get up and leave from there. You feel full. You don't feel great. That delight was just for a moment. And I'll be honest with you. I think if I was to put a list of things on the screen of things that the world would say are delightful, not many of them would give you a very long moment of delight. But notice what he says right here for the man that gets into God's word. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my soul. I love what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. In other words, I took all of your word in, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. You know what? I think oftentimes we see people that call themselves Christians walking around living defeated lives and all the, always being discouraged because they're looking for the things of the world to give them the things that it can't offer. They're looking for what only the Bible and the Holy Spirit can give them, and they can find in a relationship with the Lord, and they're looking for the world to deliver those things to us. And they can't, because those things are only found 
here in the Word. About two years ago, Brother Steve challenged everybody in the church to read through the Bible in a year. Do you all remember that? And they sold those brown Bibles in the bookstore. You read like three and a half chapters a day and it had the journaling over the side. You remember those, Tim? And, and we bought them all for our family. And my two older kids decided they're going to do it. Now, what you have to know is my oldest at the time was nine, which would mean my second oldest was seven. Now, that's a pretty tall order for a seven-year-old to read a whole lot of words that let's just you and I get real serious for just a moment and transparent, read a lot of words that we don't even understand. And I'm going to expect my seven-year-old to read it. And I can remember her taking this Bible up to her room, and she was so excited. She got some colored pencils, and she was going to highlight stuff. She was going to do all this stuff. And I can remember each night going up there and praying with her and kissing her goodnight. And, 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 and she talking about, I'm going to read my Bible before I go to bed. And I can remember about the end of January, okay, about the end of January, my wife and I were just about asleep, and we hear a little knock at the door. The door opens up. My little Maddie, my little seven-year-old, I mean, tears just flowing down her face. She, I said, baby, what is it? I said, did you have a bad dream? And she said, no, I've been in there in my room trying to read my Bible, and the devil keeps telling me, you missed six days in a row. Why don't you quit? Six days. You know how far behind she is? She's like 22 chapters. You know how tough it is for a seven-year-old to read three and a half chapters a day? That's a lot. And now she thinks she's got to read 22 chapters in a day, and she is just distraught. She is bawling. And I think sometimes when we look at disciplines, it's like the discipline of dieting all of a sudden. As a matter of fact, Michael Pritchard, I know you're in here somewhere. Where are you? I saw you. Michael, there you are. Michael, their family's getting ready to do some, some changes in their diet. We were talking about it last night, but what he has, he has a plan. They're not just going to dive all in and take it all at one time. They're going to slowly, gradually get there prayerfully. That's what we're praying for. They're going to slowly, gradually get there. And when we look at these disciplines, we all of a sudden look at someone in the sports world and say, I want a body like that, and I'm going to try to do that workout. We're not ready to do that workout. And so what happens is when we begin to look at God's Word, we begin to say, well, Brother Steve's reading these four chapters a day, he's reading the whole New Testament in a month. He's memorizing all these verses. I guess that's what I have to do. And here's the bottom line. God is just saying, get into my word and spend some time with me. Because see, when we pray to God, we're talking to him. And when we read his word, he's talking to us. This is his letter to us. It's not just filled with instructions. It's a glimpse of his heart. It's a glimpse of who he is. We're, we're getting to see him as he talks to us in here. And so as we begin to study, we find that our joy is not wrapped up in the things of the world. Our joy, we know this, comes from the Lord, and it comes from the Lord alone. Men who read their Bible are filled with joy. Men who read their Bible are firm in their faith. Notice it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Now, I love that. It's a picture, he says, and his law, he meditates day and night. Now, I just want to make a statement to you because I've heard people say this throughout the years. You don't have to read your Bible first thing in the morning. It's okay if you do that later in the evening. And I'm going to tell you something. I think anytime you want to read God's Word, go for it. I don't think you're ever going to get to the end of your life and have this big regret that, oh my goodness, I spent too much time reading God's Word. I just don't think that's going to happen to you. I've never heard anybody say that on their deathbed. I've heard them say the opposite. Wish I would have spent more time with the Lord. But it says that 
He meditates in it day and night. It's difficult to meditate on something during the day that you haven't put in your mind early in the morning. You want to marinate on it throughout the day? You better get some of it in the morning. I'll be honest with you, a couple days ago, I was so busy here at the church. I left early, early in the morning, came in. My wife was already doing her stuff. I came here. We didn't talk all throughout the day. And I'll just be honest with you, I got home late in the evening. And when I got home and we finally got the kids to bed and I got my shower and I thought I was going to just lay in my bed and fall asleep, she just unloaded on what had transpired the last 18 hours of her life. And there were things that as I was trying to fall asleep, oh, and I forgot to say, oh, and I forgot to say, oh, and I forgot. And I thought, baby, you're going to have to take a breather. You're going to have to let me go to sleep. We're going to have to catch up on this tomorrow. But the reality is, is she waits tomorrow. I've missed so much today. First of all, she's going to forget a lot of that. Second of all, there's already going to be all this stuff for tomorrow. Now we've got all this stuff. And that's why we have conversation in the morning. I try, to, I try to catch up with her sometime in the day. We try to talk as a family. We ate at table 26 tonight. We ate Chick-fil-A back there, guys. I should have left you some. I pulled the tablecloth off. We ate there. I sanitized it, put the tablecloth back, but we had dinner right back there. And we talked around that table as a family. And then when we get ready to go to bed tonight, her and I will have more conversation. Why? Because that's my wife. I love her. She loves me. We have a relationship, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not talking physically, but if you want an intimate relationship with your wife emotionally and all that, you better talk to her. I hear guys all the time say, I wish I was closer to the Lord. I wish I had a better walk with the Lord. I wish mine looked a little bit more like his. I wish I walked a bit closer like him. The bottom line is, are we digging into God's word? He says, that man meditates day and night. I can't explain it to you, but every time I read God's word, and a situation comes up later in the day, it's amazing how something that I read that morning fits that situation just like that. I've got a guy in this room, I'm not going to, I wouldn't embarrass him for the world, but we do the Bible app together, and uh, I'm not going to say his name, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, I have to apologize to him publicly. We're, We're working in this workbook, and we're filling it out on paper, and then we've got this app where we go in and type in our thoughts on there, and I'm behind on the app, okay? I'm behind on the app. i got to get I got to get some stuff on that, but I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to read the words that he writes each morning or each afternoon when he writes those things down. And I see where the Lord spoke to him. And I'll be honest with you, in the past couple of weeks as we started this, there have been multiple days where I've been just a little bit discouraged. And I've read something that God has showed him, and I've realized as he has meditated on God's word and he has written it down, it has ministered to me. And so he says this man meditates day and night. He says he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Firmly planted. You know, everybody wants to go on the mountaintop. You ever hear that? I just want to go to the mountaintop. I want to go climb the mountains. That's great. And it's a beautiful sight from up there. But you don't see a lot of vegetation way up on the tree, way up on the mountains. You don't see a lot of beautiful trees up there. You go up there to look down on the vegetation. But where all the growth happens is down in the valley. The most lush of the vegetation is found low in the valley, close to the water. And I would submit to you that the water that he's referring to here, we can find in John chapter 4. Where if you recall, Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're walking through Samaria. 
and the disciples stop Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we don't walk through Samaria. They're half-breeds. We don't have anything to do with them. And Jesus says, oh, no, we're going through Samaria. You remember what he does when he gets there on the edge of town? There's a well there. And he sits down, and the Bible says he's weary. He's tired. He sends his disciples into town to get some food because he has a divine appointment to meet with a woman. The woman comes there. He asks her for something to drink. They begin this dialogue, and he says to her, Woman, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. You see, Jesus is the living water. Where are we to be firmly planted? By the living water. And where is that found? In the Word of God. You see, I love this. Jesus was getting ready to ascend. He's telling his disciples, look, I'm getting ready to go away. And they're saying, no, 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 don't leave us. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to be good for you. Because I'm sending a helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when you get saved, the Holy Spirit's going to reside inside of you. I'm thankful for that still small voice inside of my, myself. I, I'm thankful when I hear him say, don't do that. Don't say that. Go there. Give that person some money. Share the gospel with that person. Take your family there. I'm thankful for that. But I tell you what, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he's given us the gift of his word. He's telling us to be planted firm in the word of God. So men who read the Bible are filled with joy, and they are firm in their faith. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's this guide. He's, it's not only a guide, but it's his love letter to us. And he says that if we will get into his word, we'll be firm in our faith. Here's the third thing I want you to see before we go to a time of table discussion. Men who read the Bible are filled with joy. They're firm in their faith and they produce fruit. They produce I was talking to a guy last week. I think it was a Tuesday, last Tuesday, I think. And uh, he's, in a, he's, he's not really a close friend of mine. He's an acquaintance. And we've kind of just, we're just now starting to connect. He goes to another church here in Memphis, great church. I uh, love the pastor over there. And, and he's getting fed the word of God over there. But he said to me, he said, uh, we we're talking about this, this idea of sharing the gospel with people. And uh, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, uh, who's the last person you shared the gospel with? Like, actually sat down and said, can I share with you what the Bible says about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I shared with him when the last time I was, and he said, can I just be perfectly honest with you? I said, sure. He said, I've never done that. And he said, you know, I got saved about 10 years ago. I, I go to a Sunday school class. I'm in worship service. He said, I serve on Wednesday nights in children's ministry. But he said, but I've never, you know, like a guy at work, I've never shared the gospel with anybody like that. He said, I've never, I've never shared the gospel with one of my neighbors. And he said, I, I think I have a desire to do that. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, tell me a little bit about your personal relationship with the Lord. Not worship service, not Sunday school, and not serving Wednesday nights. I want to know, when do you pick up your Bible and read it? He said, well, I'll be honest. He said, I, I don't do a lot of that. And I said, see, there's a connection between those two. Because when you get in here and God tells you what to do, you are just bursting forth. You want to do what he calls you to do. And I said, can I challenge you to take the next month and just read the book of John? Just get in there and read it. 
This was last Tuesday. I got a text from him yesterday. He said, you're never going to believe it. I said, what happened? He said, I shared the gospel with the guy that works in the cubicle beside me. I said, what happened? He said, I don't know. I read John 3, 16. I figured if God died on the cross for me, I could share the gospel with the guy in the cubicle next to me. You know what? He's gotten in God's word and he's producing fruit. Look what it says right here, verse three. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Oftentimes, I hear people say this. I wish I shared the gospel all the time. I wish I taught a Sunday school class all the time. I wish I did all these. You know, I serve here and I serve there, but I don't do stuff all the time. I wish I was serving all the time. I see people that do that, and I wish I was doing all. Notice what he says here. He says it'll produce fruit in its season. And I want us to be careful just for a moment here. Because fruit trees bear fruit at certain times of the season. You know, back in biblical times, every seven years, they they would take that land, or I don't remember exactly how many years, but they would take that land and they would let it rest a little bit. And I would submit to you that we can get so busy serving the Lord that our personal relationship with Him begins to suffer. And then let me show you what happens because it happened to me. I've had two bouts of depression in my life, one for six months and one for 30 days. The one for six months happened to me in this very moment. Remember the guy that began drinking in college? Well, I began going the other way. I began serving and teaching and preaching at the school that I went to. And I was preaching on Wednesday nights at the homeless shelter. I was preaching on Fridays in our, one of our classes. And I was preaching to the basketball team on Tuesdays. And I was doing all this stuff. And what happened was I got so busy serving the Lord that I wasn't spending any time here. And what happened was the little bit of me that was any good at all was poured out really, really, really quick. And I had nothing left to give. And I burned out. And I quit the team. And I left the school. And I came home here to Memphis to my parents' house, and I was a mess. And it wasn't until I actually began working here, and there was a man that worked in that office right there named Scotty Shouts who pulled me in the office one day, and he said, hey, I'd just like to bring you in every other week and just talk about what God's showing you in the Word of God. And so I just began getting deep into it and digging into it. And over the next couple months, the Lord just pulled me out of that miry clay. And he put a new song in my heart, and I began to produce fruit once again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9 is what's called the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, you've heard this a thousand times. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, you sh- and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's what he's saying. Get in God's word, develop your relationship with the Lord, and then go throughout the day telling everybody else about what God's doing in your life. And here's what I think so often we try to do. We try to go throughout the day doing those things, but all of our power, all of our energy, all of our fuel comes from right here. You may have a big old nice truck. It may be a 2021. It may have a 50-gallon tank on it. And that dude may go a long ways, but when it runs out of gas, it's out. And no matter how long you sit there and keep turning that key, it's not going to do anything until you go fill it up. And I would submit to you that God is calling us to dig into God's Word right here. 
Men who read the Bible are filled with joy. They're firm in their faith and they produce fruit. You're sitting around the table. Some of you read your Bible every morning. There's a guy in this room reads his Bible every morning in journals. And I've heard him many times say, I was reading my journal from 10 years ago and this is what God showed me. And that's, that's some discipline right there. I'm not there. I'm not in that place. I'll be honest with you. And then I've heard guys in this room say, I read three or four chapters every day and that's great and I'm thankful for that. But there's probably some guys sitting in this room today that says, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember the last time I actually picked this up and actually read a few verses of it. So each one of us are sitting out there, and we're in a different spot. And I could give you a piece of application, but it may not fit you where you are. And so that's what these table discussions are designed for, is that you would sit around that table and you would talk about where you are and talk about what your next step is. Maybe you're not reading the Bible on a daily basis at all, and that's where you're going to start. You're going to read 10 verses every day. You're going to read one chapter every day. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Noah said, I'll send out some resources that may help you, but maybe that's your next step. Maybe you read the Bible every day, but you're, but you're not really studying God's Word, and you're not meditating it on all throughout the day. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're in between plans, and you just kind of pick up the Bible each day and open it up, and wherever it falls, that's what you start reading. That, that's one plan, but it's not a very good one, I'll be honest with you. Everything in here is good, but I think you should have a plan. And so I just want you to take a few minutes around your table, And I want you to talk in regards to where you are in reading God's Word. What is your next step personally? Not a table. What is your next step personally?